You're listening to another message from Generation City Church. And verse 16, we read, So Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. When he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because... Sometimes we have to slowly read some of these passages to really understand the context, the meaning, what it is God wants us to get in this process of meditating on the word of God. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, has come upon me because... Why has the Spirit of God come upon Jesus? Why does the Spirit of God come upon anyone? Well, here is the answer. The Spirit of God is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me. In other words, he has come upon me to equip me, to empower me, to enable me to do something. To empower and equip and enable me to do something and to do something well. And Jesus goes on to say what it was that he was anointed for. And he, he reads out a whole list of things that was prophetically declared about him from, from the prophet Isaiah many, many years before. But he said, the Lord has come upon me and anointed me and equipped me to do this. One, to bring great news of God's plan of salvation and rescue to drowning people. The second thing, the spirit of the Lord, he said, has come upon me for. He has anointed me to heal broken and smashed up hearts. The third thing the spirit of the Lord had come upon him for and anointed him and equipped him for was to to open the eyes of people to the reality of God's incredible plan for their life. And then he goes on to the fourth thing, to break chains of oppression and to set people free from the things that Blind, bind, and stunt them. Things that hinder them. Things that restrict them from being all that they are called and anointed to be. Jesus said, this is my purpose. This is my cause. The Spirit of God is on me because he has anointed me, equipped me, empowered me to do all of those things. Now, I want to say right now from the very outset, what I have learned about Jesus, what I have read about Jesus, what I have experienced of Jesus in my 36 years of walking with him is that he is very good at doing those things. He is very, very good at at doing the things that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him to do and anointed him to do. He is so good at it that there are books written about him and and it kind of reveals that to him, healing sick, sick people was a natural act. 
He, he did it with ease. He did it with grace. Wherever he went, he would calmly and confidently and with power break chains of bondage, open blind eyes, unblock deaf ears. He would release people from oppression. He would release people from depression. He would release people who we would diagnose with, with major psychotic issues today. And with grace and ease, he would calmly walk in and just say, be free. And it would happen. Jesus was very, very good at declaring the love of the Father. He was very good at touching people right where they were, at scratching where they were itching, at touching the core issue in people's lives that left them saying, oh, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you go. I want to serve your kingdom. To some people, he had to say, no, 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 I don't want you to follow me where I'm going. I want you to go back to your hometown and tell them what great things I've just done for you. Jesus was very, very good at doing the things that he did. But we've got to understand he was only good at it for one reason. He was anointed to do it. That's the only reason he was successful. It's the only reason he was fruitful. It was the only reason he finished his race and, and received a favorable response from the Father who took him back into heaven and placed him at his right hand and glorified him. It was because he was very, very good at what he did, but he was only good at it because of the anointing that he was given. You know, when you are anointed to do something, you, you do it naturally. It comes with ease. It comes with an air of grace. It comes with a flow that, that you don't have if you're not anointed or equipped to do. When you are, are anointed to do something, you, you, are, you have very little awkwardness. You are not unco when you are anointed. How many of you have met some unco people? How many of you haven't got a clue what unco means? Well, you're old. Unco is just the trendy way of saying uncoordinated. Someone says you're a bit unco. It's not a compliment. It's, it's like, it's, but when you're anointed, you're not unco. You 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 kind of do it with a grace, with a an ease, with a with a flow. And and over my years of church ministry and church leadership, not so much out in the corporate world, but in my my experience of church leadership, I have met some unanointed people. Doesn't mean they're not anointed, but they're functioning where they're not anointed. And I think the greatest release that we can have as Christ followers is to find our God shape, is to find our calling, our gifting, the thing that heaven has anointed us for, why the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me and what He has anointed me to do and to discover that. But I have, over the years, met some very unanointed people in the wrong role, way out of their God shape, way out of what they should be doing. And I want to challenge you with this. If you're doing something that you are not anointed for, you will not succeed. There will be no fruit. You will live a frustrated life. Back in 1985... Margot and I were in our final year of Bible college in Katoomba. And in that final year, the beginning of that year, she fell pregnant with our first son, Joel. And around that time, I secured a job 
at the Hydro Majestic at Medlow Bath. Everybody's heard of the Hydro Majestic at Medlow Bath. Uh, overlooks the Megalon Valley and it's quite a history, long history of being a spectacular, ritzy, classy place to stay, to dine, to eat. And I secured a job in their dining room. And it was one of those long white shirt, sleeve shirts, black bow tie kind of a job. And I ended up on a rotating roster. Sometimes I'd be on dinner, sometimes I'd be on lunch, sometimes I'd be on breakfast, whatever it was. And, and it worked around with my lecture hours and so on. And I have talked a little bit about this experience, but I want to share it with you from another angle this morning. I had a boss, Mrs. North. <laughs> she was a very unusual lady, and she was quite psychotic. I, I remember one morning arriving to do my job. It was, I was on a breakfast shift and, and on the breakfast shift you had to go around the entire dining room and you'd put bowls of sugar and bowls of condiments, jams and marmalades and things like that. And you'd always take a tray of one, do all the tables, then you'd go back and get the trays of the other and do all that. And one morning I, I w went in and, and I'm putting out the sugars and I was halfway up. I started on time. I wasn't late for work and I was halfway up and in came Mrs. North. And when she came in, you just kept focused on what you were doing. You didn't engage her. You didn't give her eye contact. Um, <laughs> you just didn't. You just kept doing your job. And she used to call me Martin. <laughs> but not just Martin. It was Martin! <laughs> and that's just how it came out of her mouth every time she wanted my attention. And of course, I heard that echoing across the dining room. Yeah, 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 yes, Mrs. Northern, all north. It's like, there's no condiments on these tables up here. I said, Mrs. North, I haven't got there yet. Well, hurry up. There's no, I want condiments on these tables. And I thought, she wants them and she wants them now. So I put the sugar tray down and I got the condiments and I went to the other end of the dining room where she was and I started to put the condiments on the table. But she made her way back down the other end. Oh. Martin! Yes, Mrs. North. There's no sugar on these tables down here. I thought you were putting sugars out. I said, I was, Mrs. North. So you asked me to put the condiments out. Well, you should put the sugars first. I was, Mrs. North. I was putting the sugars out first. I was doing that. And I was stressed before any customers even walked through the door. But I, I remember throughout that entire year, I met so many people that I worked with. I met tons of people that I worked with. And the reason I met so many people was because she lost staff week in and week out. People would, I remember seeing people go toe-to-toe -to -toe with her, spit the dummy and just yell at her and storm out, never to come back. But one day I'm waiting on a table at dinner and this lady, very nice lady, was on her own having dinner and she had a dessert and I asked her if she'd like some coffee. Now we used to tip bucket loads of coffee down the sink at the end of every shift, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We made way too much. There was always a ton left over. It would all go down the sink. And this lady, I offered her coffee. She said, actually, I'm not feeling very well. She said, I really think I might go back to my room and lie down. I said, look, that's fine. But I said, we're here for another hour or so. If you'd like a coffee, come back down, sit up there in the lounge area. And I said, I'll, I'll watch for you. I said, I'll get you a coffee. She left. Half an hour later, she came back, sat in the lounge. I went over. I said, coffee or tea? She said, coffee would be great. So I go around to where the coffee station was in the kitchen area. It was out of sight. And in comes Mrs. North. 
what's that woman doing back here? I thought, everything inside of me wanted to say, you don't know who that woman is, do you? You have no idea who that lady is. And everything inside of me was starting to fantasize that she'd come back and say, what do you mean? Who is she? You, you haven't got a clue who that lady is sitting out there. You would never treat her like this if you knew who that lady was out there. You have no idea. I'm having this imaginary conversation. And I can imagine her saying, well, well who is she? Mom, Mrs. North, I'm going to have to tell you. She, you don't ever want to treat her like this. That lady, Mrs. North, is the customer. <laughs> that lady is the one that actually pays your bills and puts food on your table. That lady is the reason why you even exist. Mrs. North, everything inside of me wanted to say that, but I didn't. What's that lady doing? Oh, she, she's come back for a cup of coffee, Mrs. North. She can't have one. It's exactly how she spoke to me. And I said, why? She's left the restaurant. She's a guest in the hotel, Mrs. North. She's just had a breakfast, wasn't feeling well. She just left to go and lie down. She's come back. I said, and I've just told her I would get her a cup of coffee. I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly what she said. I can still hear it as though it was yesterday. Well, just give her half a cup then. <laughs> can you believe that? Margot and I visited the Hydra Majestic late last year. 30 years to the day that we graduated college and I resigned my job at the Hydra Majestic. It's been renovated. Don't like all the renovations, but it's been revamped. In the dining room area, it's a bit of a storage area, a bit of nostalgic walk down memory lane, had a look through the windows, so on. Went in through the, uh, the new foyer area, which is now an elaborate dining room. But as we're walking around the grounds, there was a plaque. And I read the plaque, and it said the Hydra Majestic over many years deteriorated as a result of poor management. <laughs> Mrs. North was not anointed for that task. She was in the wrong business. And as a result of being unanointed, doing something that you are not anointed for, you will end up with a plaque somewhere that says, this person deteriorated because of poor management. But yet I've met over the years some very anointed people. I, I think Steve Arozovich is here somewhere, and he's dying a thousand deaths right now the moment I said his name. He, there he is down there. Steve Arozovich is really anointed when it comes to practical, handyman. Like he has done so many things behind the scenes around our building. We've said to Steve, Steve, we want that wall out and we want another wall put up over there. Yeah, okay. You can do that? Yeah, yeah, I can do that for you. I go away, I come back an hour later and it's done. It would take me a month of Sundays to do that because I'm not anointed in the practical side of life, don't say anything. <laughs> we moved out of our house in Elamore Vale. Inside the front door, there was a huge mirror hung on the wall. Looks really good. But when you take the mirror off the wall, there are six big holes <laughs> where I kept missing the stud. The stud finder just could not find the stud. The electronic beeper could not find the stud. It wasn't me. It was the tool that I was using. 
I think Stan painted through our house when we moved out and he patched it all up and he had to go and buy a second bucket of bog to <laughs> fix up the holes. But Steve Orozovich is really anointed. He just puts his hand to something and it's, it's a gift. It's like a flow. There's an ease about what he does. And he produces really, really quickly. Yet, yet if I ask Steve to come up here right now and pray, he'll go weak at the knees. That's why I ask him from time to time to come up here and pray because I like watching him go weak at the knees. But it's not really his thing. He's a server. He's got an anointing on his life to do really, really important things behind the scenes. I see Max Gibson sitting over here. I was in hospital a few years ago for four or five days and Max visited me. There's something on Max Gibson that when he visits you and he pastors you, you feel so much better when... He leaves. He arrived. He didn't stay too long. He didn't stay too short. He didn't talk too much. He kind of, he just, I felt so uplifted. And when he left, I thought, that man can visit me anytime he likes. Yet, if I see some of you coming, I'll pretend to be asleep. <laughs> because you're not anointed for that. But listen, that's, that's okay. You know, sometimes we think we've got to do things that, that we're not anointed for, but we end up getting frustrated and it will not bear very much fruit at all. Is this okay? Yeah, great. <laughs> I, hope, I hope so. What, what are you anointed to do? You know, the, the best way to answer that question is to ask yourself another question. What am I naturally good at? I really believe that when you were born, not born again, but when you were born, built into your DNA was a gift from heaven. Every one of us have something that we can bring to the table to extend and build God's kingdom. And every one of us are different. That's why Paul uses the analogy of the body. The body is made up of many parts and every part is critical. You can have the healthiest of kidneys, but if your ticker is shot, it's not going to help you. So the heart could be really, really healthy, but your pancreas has died on you. Your heart is not going to be able to make your body work. Every part of the body works together in a healthy way. And when every part does, the body then is healthy. It's the same for the church. John Smack preached here the first Sunday of 2016. By the way, this is Sunday number seven for 2016. It's only 45 weeks till Christmas. 45 weeks today is Christmas Day. So this is the seventh Sunday service, and, and we have started with a bang. The atmosphere in every single Sunday service is unbelievable. But John preached the first one, and it was a fantastic message on the anointing. And he brought something out of a scripture that I had never seen before. But it actually validates everything I've been saying to you since I started this morning. And that scripture is Exodus 31, verses 1 through 6. It's on the screen. Let's look at it for a moment. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. There is the Spirit of the Lord upon him, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And I have personally appointed 
Aholiab, son of Ahishamak, of the tribe of Dan, to be his assistant. Moreover, I have given him special skill. Moreover, I have given special skill to all the gifted craftsmen so that they can make all the things that I have commanded you to do. They were anointed practically. We, and John brought this out so, so well. Sometimes we think that, that this is the anointing. This is the fluff. This is the, oh, you can feel it. You can feel it tingling. All over. That's the anointing. No, that's sometimes just the presence of God. An anointing is when you are gifted and the Spirit of God comes upon you to do something well. And that can be what Steve Arozovich does. The craftsman, the stonemason. So Steve, by tonight's service, I want golden emeralds and stones etched into the wall because you're anointed for that. Can you hear what I'm, what I'm saying? What are you naturally good at? What are you specially skilled in? Let me, let me tell you this. The anointing is not something that comes upon you. The anointing is in you. It is resident. It abides in you. It lives in you. It's permanently in you. It doesn't leave you. And when opportunities arise, that anointing manifests. And it confirms that you are really good at. I spoke about Max Gibson. Great pastoral care man. He can visit me anytime he likes when he's sick. But if I got Max to be the opening dance act for the next she event. It would totally ruin the reputation of she for excellence. I hope you're not a dancer, Max. Are you? No, you know. Can you hear what I'm, what I'm saying? The anointing is something that you just flow in with ease, not with awkwardness, not with stress. Who remembers Edith Keim? Old Edith Keim, gone home to be with the Lord a long time ago. When we came and took over this church just over 17 years ago, she used to sit right over there with the overhead projector putting the choruses up on the screen. And she was so slow. She was 150 then. It's like, and it'd be like she'd put the wrong transparency up. And nobody was singing. And we'd look up and go, eat another one. You know? And then she'd put one up and people are like, eat it. It's upside down. Look at the screen. It just was not working. Margot went to her one Sunday and said, Edith, I think you've served long enough in this role. You know what she said? Thank you, Jesus. Did, did she not? Oh, she said, I get so stressed Sunday in and Sunday out. I'm thinking, why can't they find somebody else to do this? I'm not good at this. this is not. We release you. It was, the pressure was gone. The or- She was unco. When you have an anointing for something and you find that something, you do it like a ballerina. You do it like a Swiss watch. Everything. Nothing misses a beat. The anointing that you have received lives in you. Let me show you something. First John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. That word abide means dwell. You know, where you live, your residential address is where you abide. Someone said to you, be old English, oh, where do you abide? You, know, you just say your address. We say, oh, where do you live? So the anointing 
has found his address in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has been taught you, you will abide in him. Let me show it to you in the Amplified, which brings out a fuller meaning of the original language. But as for you, the anointing, the sacred appointment, the unction, which you receive from him abides permanently in you. So then you have no need that anyone should instruct you. But just as his anointing teaches you concerning everything and is true and is not falsehood, so you must abide in him, live in, never depart from him, being rooted in him, knit to him, just as his anointing has taught you to do. Now, the context of that, Paul is saying the anointing in you, the presence of the Spirit of God in you has multiple purposes. One is to guard you from deception. When you walk closely with the Holy Spirit and you're in intimate relationship with him, you're not going to be easily deceived by every new wind and wave of doctrine that comes across your path. That's what he says. When the anointing is in you, you have no need for someone to teach you. He is not saying, therefore, be unteachable. If he, if he meant that we weren't to be taught the word of God, he would never have given the ascension gift ministry of teacher to the church. So he's not saying, you don't need anyone to teach you. You've got the Holy Spirit. That's all you need. You're on dangerous ground if that's what you believe. What he's saying is the closer you walk with the Holy Spirit, you will not become easily confused by every stupid teaching that comes through the church. But I also believe that among other things, it means that when you are anointed for something, you don't have to struggle to learn the skill. The anointing abides in you. Therefore, you have no need for someone to teach me. It's like, oh, will you, will you just teach me to be a brain surgeon? You might not be anointed for that. And if you are not anointed for that, you will struggle and struggle and struggle. Years will go by. You will never achieve it. You'll become unfruitful, frustrated, and you'll think, I wasted half my life studying for something I was not anointed for. But when you're anointed, you'll take to it like a duck to water. It'll just be a natural thing for you. You know, if, you, if what you do or what you are doing doesn't bear fruit after a reasonable period of time, then you have to ask yourself, am I really anointed for this? Now, you can do something and you don't see fruit, but fruit is seasonal. And it's first the natural, then the spiritual. It's the same in the spiritual dimension. Stick at it. The best way to discover, am I really in the right role? Uh, those around you that know you well can actually affirm that and say, look, you are definitely in the right role. You know, it's the enemy trying to break down your confidence. Or somebody that can speak truth in your life can say, actually, no, I don't think you are in the right role. And I think you're just creating frustration for yourself. Let me, let me start to wrap this up, and then we're going to anoint everybody this morning. Joel Osteen put on Twitter this week this statement, don't confuse small with insignificant. Without passing the small tests, you won't step into the fullness of your destiny. If you're anointed to teach about the goodness of God, it will not start up here. It will start across the lunch table with your workmate. The amount of people that have come through the church saying, I'm an evangelist. I have the gift of evangelism. I am, I am anointed as an evangelist. They say, well, where are all the people you're leading to Christ? Oh, no, I'm only anointed to preach the gospel to the church, the crowds, the, the stadiums, the platforms. You need to create an opportunity for me. If you are truly an evangelist, you will be evangelizing wherever you are. And you'll do it with ease. I've met people like that. I struggle evangelizing the lost. 
I hope that, that puts some of you at ease. I struggle with it. It's not my natural gifting. However, we should all do the work of an evangelist. That's what we're told to do. Timothy was told to do that. But, you know, people, they're really just looking for stardom is all it is. But if you are truly called to teach the word of God, it will happen in your workplace. You will, you will articulate the gospel message in a way that people can understand. That's what a good, effective teacher does. If you're anointed to lead, you won't start at the top. You'll start actually by effectively leading yourself. The amount of people who don't lead their own life well say, I'm called to lead. And I should be up the front. I should be given position and title. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. I don't see the fruit of leadership on your life because you can't even lead your own life. Is, is that okay? If you're anointed to manage, and there are some people that are brilliant managers. They've just got an anointing on their life to manage. So if you're here today and you don't go to church, take what I'm saying to you today, take this back into your workplace. Take it into your corporation. But if you are gifted uh, and anointed to manage, you won't start as the CEO. You'll start with your own family. That's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? And it's the same with if you can't manage the small things in your life, don't start looking for, well, I'm called to be a manager and I should be up there as the CEO. No, just manage the small things. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the small, you'll be given much. But we don't like the small. We see the small as insignificant. But it's a stepping stone into that which is great. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter the it's the parable of the talents. The gift, the anointing, the thing God has deposited in your life. Don't sit on it and bury it like the man with one talent. And when the Lord returns, you say, oh, well, I, I'm still nice and clean and it still you know, hasn't been used and it's, I've still got what you gave me. I haven't lost it. You know, yeah, but you didn't invest it. You didn't use it. And the man with the five, he went out and invested it and used it and doubled it. And we're called to do that with people, to invest our gift in people. Not platforms, but people. From Monday to Saturday, every week we're called to do that. And he said to the person who doubled the five and the person who doubled the two, they both got the same, the same accolade. They both got the same compliment. Because you've been faithful with that which is small, I'll give you much. What are you anointed to do? Well, what is it that you are naturally good at? What is it that is going to be a blessing to someone else around you? in your life, in your neighbors, in your family? What is it you're naturally good at? You know, what are you specifically skilled in? My challenge today is surrender it to Jesus. Let him breathe on it. Let him breathe on it. Ask yourself seriously, should I really be functioning there? Or should I be functioning there? We've seen people with our strengths finder uh, program actually make some slight adjustments and then they take off. It's like Edith on the overhead projector. <laughs> she was a beautiful old soul. It's like she really, really was. And she'd be here faithfully every week there. And Margot and I would go, oh dear. <laughs> it's like we're trying to build excellence into the place. And who would have thought back then? That we would have had projectors and buttons and 
I learned something this week. I learned something this week. Paul Scanlon, we, who enjoyed him on Wednesday night? Well, our, our pastoral team sat under him all day Friday in Sydney at a communications class. And he said something that really got my attention. He said, have you ever gone... Margot and I love live theatre. You know, Cats, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Les Mis, uh, you know, all that. So we love live theatre. And every time I go to a live theatre, I sit there going, how do they do this without mistakes? How does the sound guy get it right on the, t- on the money every time? How does the light come on at the moment they need it to come on? And they're not standing and go, where's the, where's the light guy? You know? And Paul Scanlon said... He went to a theatre one day and just asked the same question. So he got my attention because I asked the same question. And he said, after it, he said, I went up to the sound desk. And it was a lady at the sound desk. And says, I preach every week. I'm a pastor. We have so many problems with sound and lighting and timing and so on. Yet you guys never, ever make a mistake. Not an obvious one anyway. Can you tell me, is there a clue? Instantly, the lady said, is your sound person a man or a woman? And he said, well, actually, they're all men. That's your problem. She was deadly serious. And here's what she said. Because he said to her, why is that the problem? Because men cannot leave the buttons alone. (laughs) Women will set it, get it right, and sit back. But the men, they've got to play with everything. Oh, that's another knob. Actually, that needs a little bit of a tweak. No, it doesn't. Leave it. It's good. The way men... Sorry, Matt. It's... Everyone turn and look at Matt down. Does a great job on our sound desk. But she was deadly serious. Ladies, who has the anointing for sound and audio visual? We will find another lady to train you. So <laughs> what is it you're anointed for? What are you good at? What are you naturally strong at? Some of you know what that is. Some of you are still on a journey of discovery. Some of you are going, I think I know what it might be. And you're starting to narrow it down. Some of you go, I really don't have a clue. We, we in faith this morning, service number seven for 2016, beginning of February, we, we want to just, in faith, take a little bit of olive oil, anoint you on the head as you come through. We're not going to pray for people. We're just going to anoint you as you file past. And we want you, as you fall past, you receive that anointing. Say, Lord, open my eyes to what it is you have called me to do. And it doesn't have to consume your energy. or your. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him. You find your God shape and function, it will energize you. But if you are in the wrong place, you'll be like Edith, stressed out every single Sunday. As you come through, say, Lord, I receive this anointing by faith. Let what you have anointed me for, come to the surface and help me find that and lock in and surrender it to Jesus. Amen. So you can stay seated.